And welcome, everybody, once again to the Things Christians Want to Know podcast. I am Nate Johnstone, and I'm here with Paul Anderson. Hi, Paul. Hello today. Hello today. It is a summer podcast in Minnesota. For those of you who aren't familiar with summer culture in Minnesota, it's very unique. In the summer, it's all vacation. In Min- to Minnesotans, all of summer is vacation, occasionally rudely interrupted by work. But the mentality is very much that this is summer and it's vacation. And then the rest of the year, it's work and we get to play once in a while. But in the summer, a lot of us have this interesting mentality that, no, every night when we go home from work, it's summer. So we do summer stuff and we grill every day and we, you know, we do things like that and it's fun. And I love it. My kids are actually going to be done with school and then it'll really be summer at my house, which is very different. Um, so yes, I love it. And kind of contradictory to that, we're going to talk about some <laughs> difficult stuff tonight, things that uh, none of us love. Um, and that is, we're talking, Paul, about how not to be a victim, mm-hmm. or if we are a victim, how to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, it's a difficult topic. I think everyone can agree with it's a tough topic. We all have been victims, right? You know, I mean, we're, we're all certainly victims of sin. We're victims of corrupt human systems and governments and economies. And we were all raised by human parents who messed up. And, you know, those of us who are married are married to a human person who messes up. I apologize to my kids last night. They, <laughs> they gave me some time to talk to them. And I said, I'm sorry for my failures. So that's a part of life. It is. It is. We learn by parenting. And we learn by mistakes that we make with them. Agreed. Fortunately and unfortunately. Yes. And the, the more I, you know, I had gone through the forgiveness of my parents and that sort of thing when I was a young adult, which is very important. I think we all need to do that. But once I became a father, I really had a lot more compassion on my parents because it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard not to lose your temper and it's hard not to get exasperated with your kids. And so we've all been victims. Yeah. I think we, we all need to forgive our parents, every single one, mm-hmm. because they've all messed up. And, and some of us have been victims of things in a far more serious way, a far more difficult way. And we've um, had to go through grief, losing a parent, losing a spouse, losing a child. Yes. Um, that's, that's, a, that's another level of grief, another level of trauma. Some of us have been traumatized, abused by others, Mm -hmm. um, directly, indirectly situational. Some of us have gone through extreme illnesses and health problems and that sort of thing. And so sometimes when things get real bad, we can start to get this sort of victim mentality and it starts to go from something was done wrong to us to now we start to identify with it. Mm -hmm. Um, in a way that isn't really healthy. Mm-hmm. Was that, would you say that? Absolutely. It, it becomes a part of our identity. That's who we are. I am the person who lost the child. I am the right. person who was divorced. And that becomes a part of my outlook. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows itself in many of the things that I do. And we understand why that's a very difficult thing to deal with. But if mm-hmm. a person can overcome taking it on as an identity, 
they're more likely to enter into the fullness of life in spite of what they have experienced. And, yeah. and we know that there are people who have had very serious issues and yet have managed to do that, and then others who far less serious, who have nevertheless embraced a mentality and, and they, nothing, nothing changes for them. Yep. It's, it's, so, it's such a tough one because I think in some ways, I think getting, becoming a victim, having that mentality after something has been done to you is actually natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the natural course of events. Mm-hmm. You, you become that victim. You often have a hard time letting go and forgiveness is difficult. Bitterness often sets in. Um, and I think that's probably the natural progression of things. And it takes the Holy Spirit to circumvene, mm-hmm. uh, circumvent intervene I, I merged two words there yeah i think you did i merged two words it's a new word circumvene the holy spirit <laughs> needs to come in in order for that not to take place and not to take root in our heart because i think you know the bible says the devil's always waiting at the door crouching at the door waiting for us mm-hmm. and so sometimes we can give that foothold without even realizing it and in these cases it's difficult because yeah but i was hurt yes it was unfair that i got cancer it was unfair that my spouse died. It was unfair that my parent abused me. And those things are, tr- that's true. That isn't fair. That wasn't right. That was terrible. But what we're going to explore the next few weeks is, can we overcome despite those things mm-hmm. and still live a full, wonderful, valuable life, even in the face of those things that have happened to us. And the way we're going to do that is, first of all, to define what we mean by victimization and to give some illustrations of what it is and how a victim responds typically to life as it happens to them. And then we'll finish off by saying, here is how... I become a victor rather than a victim. Good, good. And so I just want, you know, for the listeners to, to understand as we move forward in these things, please know we acknowledge the pain that mm-hmm. you've gone through in your life or your loved one who you may be listening for. We acknowledge the difficulty of all of that. We have compassion on you and we're with you. And so we, this is not a... Uh, scared straight sort of moment Um, this is a this is an intercessory sort of moment Mm -hmm. we're trying to come down and walk with you through this and help you out of that place that darkness that pit whatever it is that it feels like for you Um, but know that we are we're we're with you and we don't in any way negate or look over the emotional pain that Mm -hmm. is really there but what we're going to be focusing on is how you can make choices and take active steps to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to get your way out. Well said, Nate. So, Paul, uh, take, take us down this road. Thanks, Nate. We're talking about being a victim. Now, we know what a victim is. A victim is one who suffers loss. We speak about victims of war or of a crime. I am defining a victim in a little different way as one who embraces a loss as an identity. 
We can understand why this could happen, especially to those who deal with incredible losses like the loss of a home or worse, the loss of a family member. Here's my question. Are you a victim, a habitual one? Difficult marriages often include victims. Sherry is receiving the rough end of the deal and gets locked into a mindset. I am the person with the bad marriage. And she gets locked in so that nothing changes her identity. And we'll talk about some of the attitudes that accompany that in a little bit. Craig, who grew up under poor parenting, can't move beyond it, though he is now raising a family of his own. His wife gets the leftovers. Jerry has worked for 15 years under an irritating boss. It has taken its toll on him, and his family says that he talks about it incessantly. Well, where do I get this in the Bible? This outlook is displayed by a man Jesus met at the pool of Bethesda. It's in John chapter 5. So we read here, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, their victims, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, let me stop for a moment. What response would you expect from that question? Jesus, the healer, is asking if he wants to be healed. You'd think you'd say, oh, praise the Lord. Here's my chance after all these years. But he assumes the response of a victim. Listen to what he says. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. So what does Jesus do? I think he pulls the rug out from underneath him. He's going to change his attitude, and he also is going to heal him. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, how from that little passage do I understand him to be a, a victim? It says in verse 14, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Those are pretty strong words. So apparently this man had an outlook of life that contributed to his paralysis, a sin that affected him, that afflicted him, that he needed to deal with so that nothing worse would happen than paralysis. So let me share some things about how I understand the victim. First of all, victims make a choice, most likely an unconscious one. We embrace our pain as who we are. We think that the decision is based on our circumstances and that if they changed, our outlook would as well. Seldom the case. Victimization, as I define it, has little to do with what happens to us. 
people with potentially devastating circumstances sometimes choose not to be victimized, while people with far less severe problems adopt the role of a victim. When we vote for a victim outlook, we give other people the power to make us miserable, an authority we should never surrender to another human being. I hope you caught that. We feel the need to remain in control, but the control actually belongs to those who stir up our anger. Morris knew he needed to change, but not nearly as much as his immature wife. When he blew, it was understandable in light of what he had to deal with. He didn't know he was playing the victim role. They went to counseling, and their pastor told Maurice that he could do what he could do to improve the marriage. But he was saying inside, the pastor doesn't understand how reactionary my wife is. He nodded on the outside, resisted on the inside. Victimization tampers with two pictures, how we view God and how we view ourselves. Those who adopt a negative picture of themselves forfeit the ability to walk as an emotionally whole person. Identity drives behavior. Those who, who you are impacts what you do. People who think they're a pile of junk will live out that prophetic picture. Those who think others are against them, sometimes including God, are dropping the equipment they need to live a healthy, positive life. Significant people in our lives, and mainly parents, build an identity in us, or by indifference or abuse, give us a confused identity. Simba, heir apparent as the Lion King, knew who he was because he valued, he felt valued, rather than being ignored. His father, Mufasa, gave him truth and love, which built an identity and produced a destiny. Until Scar tempered with his identity. Jesus said that Satan comes to lie, kill, and destroy. Sounds like Scar. He was responsible for the death of Mufasa, but he convinced Simba that he killed him, and guilt and shame replaced joy and self-confidence. Scar made Simba believe that he would be rejected if he went home. His sense of value plummeted, skewing his identity and clouding his destiny. He ran from his chosen purpose and became irresponsible. That's what happens to victims. He learned to eat grub in the forest. When rescued by Timon and Pumba, and lions don't eat grub. They taught him to live for pleasure. Hakuna Matata. When Nala found him, she lovingly tried to call him back to his real identity and destiny. Like a victim, he said, you don't understand. I can't go back. When life is clouded over by guilt and shame, the prospect of walking into a positive identity looks daunting. Rafiki came to an orphaned Simba and convinced him that he had to go back. Rather than live in the past, he called him to his future. One of the best lines, the past is past. 
Simba heard his father say to him, remember who you are. I got choked up when I first saw this movie because before Simba ever heard that from his father, I heard my father say that to me years before. And I talked to my sisters about it. And I said, did, your, did dad say the same thing to you? Because when I'd go out for the evening, he'd never say, be home by 10, be home by 11. He would always say, remember who you are. He was calling us to our identity so that we would walk into our destiny. Our self-picture is shaped by love or by the lack of it. Lack of love makes us feel that we are not worth the time, the attention. A father who makes promises that he doesn't keep who shows more interest in his work than his children, tells children that they are not worth the time. A positive identity keeps us from needing to embrace a victim mentality. Home is meant to be the closest place on earth to heaven. It is more often close to hell. So what are some things about victims that we can identify? First of all, victims live in the past. The children of Israel served as slaves for four centuries. God powerfully delivered them from bondage in an overwhelming show of strength. It's one thing to get the slave out of captivity, quite another to get the captivity out of the slave. They had hardly started their new life when the complaining began. If only, listen to that phrase, if only, because we're going to talk about that again. Victors say, what if, but victims say, if only. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Are you kidding me? It was terrible in Egypt. But when you don't have a future, when you're afraid of the future, when you live in the past, you romanticize it. When the present is disturbing, you can always glorify the past. It didn't stop there. Sometime later, the rabble with them, I'm quoting from Numbers 11, began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They were tyrannized in Egypt, but now they reinvent the past in light of a dismal present. I don't know who said it, but it is true. If you don't deal with your was, you tamper with your is, and your will be won't arrive. Our future is not dictated by our past, but for a victim, the past is all they have to hold on to. The present is miserable, and the future never comes. So not only do victims live in the past, but they replace gratitude with grumbling. 
When Sherry's husband did something especially kind, she would think, it won't last. Or, he's only doing this because I complained. When God spread the Israelites a feast in the wilderness, they devoured it like they deserved it. It did not evoke thanksgiving, nor does it ever for true victims, because their mechanism that says, I deserve better, operates at high RPMs. If only show that we live situationally as victims. If circumstances had been different, we could have managed better, connecting happiness to happenings. I'd be happy if he hadn't left me. We pin happiness on events turning out right or on people not letting us down. And since events don't always end in our favor, nor do people always come through for us, we remain in an unfortunate place which we grow to choose as our own preference. You've heard the phrase, psychologists call it learned helplessness, a condition in which even a positive outcome cannot bring encouragement. You've seen an elephant restrained in a circus by a small rope. He learned as a small elephant that he couldn't break free, so he's quit trying. We call it a moderate complex. We live more with painful memories than with positive imagination. So, Paul, we're running out of time here, and this, I'm not trying to cut you off, but we're going to continue this next week because there's a lot of stuff that we want to talk about and work through um, on this very, very important topic. So please join us again next week as we continue this discussion on how to overcome a victim mentality. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday, so tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.